Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Our goal is to foster understanding and curiosity. We ask that you listen with a humble and discerning mind. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Theology-ish. I am one of your hosts, William Berry. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. And today on Theology-ish, your favorite theology and theology-adjacent podcast, we will be talking about... Ryan, why don't you tell us what we'll be talking about? Well, scripture, of course. Oh, of course. What Uh, What else do we talk about on here? Oh, other things, whatever the heck we feel like talking about. That about sums it up. (laughs) Yeah, biblical studies, theology, philosophy, uh, issues that we are interested in. If you guys send us an email about an issue you're interested in hearing about, we might do an episode on it. So please send us an email at theologyish at gmail.com, and we might do an episode on the thing that you ask us to do an episode on. Could be fun. That may have been the fastest intro we've done yet. That was speedy. What? Well, do you want me to slow it down? No, no, it's fine. I can, I can rein it in. No, it's all right. You We're know, speed I, running. We're going to get the world record on, on podcasting. I used to uh, work as a, an auctioneer. Did you? No. Okay. I was about to say, that would be news to me. That seems like a fun gig, but not something I have done. Okay. Well, now that we've learned what William hasn't done, (laughs) today we are going to be talking about Holy Scripture. In fact, today we're going to be talking about what Holy Scripture you should read and or why, in that I wanted to discuss Bible translations. Do they matter and why? Um... Really, I just kind of wanted an excuse to talk about, hey, man, there's like thousands of translations just in English alone, uh, and some are more better than others, I think, objectively speaking. But does it really matter? Yes. Well, there's your answer from William. (laughs) We're going to dig into that. Um, But yeah, it's... You know, we live in the Midwest in America. Most churches, Protestant churches anyway, over here, will use something like the ESV or the NIV or the CSV. Um, And they're all fairly comparable. And some people will tell you they they aren't, but really, I feel like they are. Um, You and I, William, I know, are partial to the NRSV translation. It's a good one. I quite like that translation. So we're just going to dig into translation theory a little bit and how we got where we are and what that means. Uh, We're going to go over some Greek today, which is exciting. And we're going to look at a little bit of history and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so Bible translations. Why don't you tell me, William, what, uh, what was the Bible written in? couple different things uh the old testament was written in 
Hebrew, and the New Testament was written primarily in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic in there, potentially, depending on who you ask. Um, Matthew might have been written in Aramaic. We don't actually have any copies of it that Mm. are Aramaic. All the copies of it that exist, as far as we know, are in Greek. So as far as we know, the New Testament was written for sure in Greek, possibly a bit of Aramaic. Yeah. Okay. And the Old Testament was Hebrew. Yeah, and that's the way it stayed for a while. Um, You know how it is. Scripture was written, but it wasn't compiled for a little while. It it took a bit for that to happen and for the church to decide on the canon, which, of course, has even changed since then, depending on which church group you're a part of. Uh, The Catholic Bible is not the same as the Protestant Bible. And the Protestant Bible isn't the same as the Ethiopian Bible. So depending on which church group you're a part of, that looks a little bit different. But the first canon of the Bible, when was that established? Uh, So last episode, we briefly talked about a guy named Marcion. Yeah. And Marcion, around the year 115, 120, He says, oh, the Old Testament sucks. That's for Jewish people, and we're not Jewish. So he cuts the Old Testament out, and he's like, we're not going to read that. And so what should we read? Well, according to Marcion, some of Paul and the book of Luke, but he didn't like all of Luke, so he edited some of it. And so then he was like, here you go. This is what we should read. And everyone was like, what? That sucks. So technically, Marcion made the first canon, and around 120, and as a response, the church says, hey, Marcion sucks. He's dumb. He's wrong. We should read the Old Testament. We should also read the New Testament. And so by the year, like, 200 or so, we start getting uh, very complete lists of the canon, and they're very, very similar to each other. A lot of them include, well, all the ancient ones include the Apocrypha, which Protestants don't have because Luther stole it from us. Yeah. Um, I'm a little salty about that. It's fine. And then after, so once the canon's kind of more or less established, it changes a little bit here and there. Like one Apocryphal book might be included in one list and might not in another, but it's pretty consistent throughout the centuries. Yeah, Revelation in particular, I know, is one that wasn't really... Revelation agreed upon at first. Revelation is uh it's included in our earliest canon lists, but Eusebius of Caesarea, who wrote the church histories, he classifies it as a spurious writing. So Eusebius doesn't think Revelation belongs in the canon, but canon lists that were prior to Eusebius listed in the canon. Okay. So some people, Eusebius in particular, were like, eh, I don't know about that. But other people were fine with it. I'm trying to yeah, um, find a, a list of the early canons. Yeah, while well, can you here. do that, I'll keep talking. Um, I know the Shepherd of Hermas also was part of some early canons. So it, it was also considered spurious and... It's included in the Codex Sinaiticus, yes, which is our oldest collection of canon, our, our oldest canon collection. Yeah, but the Shepherd of Hermas 
does not often appear in the canon lists mm. that are older than the Codex Sinaiticus. Okay. So it might have been included in the Codex Sinaiticus as kind of like a little little fun little bonus, you know. Yeah. It's not that they necessarily hey, thought it it's like, hey, here's this. You, you know, you you might get like a an article at the front of your Bible that you buy at the Christian bookstore today and the article's about like I don't know, uh how to give your life to Jesus or something. Yeah. Right. It's not that we think that's part of the canon, but, but it's, it's there. It's there. So that might be what's going on with the Codex Sinaiticus. That's what I think is going on because with our oldest canon lists, the shepherd doesn't show up. Okay. And if it does show up, it shows up as like some people include it, but it doesn't belong. Okay. Right. And those lists are yeah hundreds of years older than the Codex Sinaiticus. Okay. So I'm going to jump forward here while you keep scrolling for a list. Um, so it was primarily just Greek and Hebrew for a while. Um, and then after a little bit, people started translating it into their native languages. Specifically, it gets translated into Latin circa uh, like 300 or so by uh, yes. Jerome and Rufinus. Yeah, and that was pretty huge. Um and Latin ends up being the primary language that it ends up being in for a long time. Yeah, because so Latin is the language that everyone speaks at the time that it's translated into Latin. Because yep. when it's written, everyone speaks Greek. Fast forward a couple hundred years, not everyone speaks Greek anymore. Now but everyone, everyone speaks Latin. Right. So they translated into Latin. There are other translations made in like... Uh, Syrian and Coptic languages, Arminian, etc. Uh, but it's primarily Latin. And then when we get into the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church is kind of like, no, you can't translate it to other languages. It has to be Latin. So they make a big deal about that. And then we have uh, William Tyndale and John Wycliffe who are like, no, it should be translated into other languages because people should be able to read it in their own language. And then they start translating into English and German, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so it's primarily Latin for a really long time. W would you like uh, a list of the canons? Yeah, let's go for it. Oh, shoot. Hold so here is a list of the canon from... 382. All right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Kings, which in Kings they specify that it's four books. So that's 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, right? So yeah. th they count all of that as Kings. Uh, Chronicles, Psalms, Solomon's books, which are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. Uh, the Book of Wisdom, which is probably the wisdom of uh, Sirach, which is a, a apocryphal book. Ecclesiasticus, no, Ecclesiasticus is Sirach, so I, I guess it's the wisdom of Solomon then. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Job, Tobit, Ezra, first and second, uh, well, no, it says Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther, Judith, Maccabees, first and second. So that's a little different than what you probably have at home. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Martin Luther stole the Apocrypha from you. 
Would you like another canon list? We're going to move on because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Okay, that's fine. As much as I would genuinely love to. Mm, excuse me, I'm eating peanuts. <clears throat> okay, so scooching right past all that, we're we're going to jump up to the... Uh, yeah, we're going to jump up to the 15th and 16th centuries here. And I'm assuming there's some other languages it was translated into by then. But uh, primarily it was Latin. So here's a little fun history for you that'll help you understand how we got where we are. So, the new learning in the 15th and 16th centuries received the study of ancient Greek and led to new translations, among them an important one by the Dutch humanist Desiderius Erasmus, who, in 1516, published an edition of the New Testament containing the Greek text and his own translation into Latin. Meanwhile, in Germany, hey, can you guess who was doing stuff with the Bible in Germany around 1516, William? Luther. Yeah, it was sure it was, yeah. Meanwhile, in Germany, Martin Luther produced the first complete translation from the original Greek and Hebrew into a modern European language. Say what you will about Martin Luther. I've certainly got some opinions. That's a good thing. Translating the Bible into a language for your people, generally a good thing. Thanks, Martin Luther. I appreciate that. <clears throat> His German language translation of the New Testament was published in 1522 and that of the complete Bible in 1534. He remained the official Sorry, this remained the official Bible for German Protestants and was the basis for Danish, Swedish, and other translations. So, again, say what you will about Martin Luther. As I said, I've got some opinions, to be sure. You got problems with Luther, Ryan? I've got a couple. You a Catholic? I don't appreciate it as anti-Semitism. Semiticism. That's fair. That that wasn't great. Um and also not a big fan of him stealing the Apocrypha. That wasn't great either. But fun fact, if you have problems with certain bits of uh, doctrine, you can get rid of those bits of doctrine if you just get rid of the pieces of Holy Scripture that have the doctrine in it. Yeah. Although the, granted, the Apocrypha, even for the Catholics, is not granted the same level as the rest of Holy Scripture. Yeah. Uh, but still. But anyway. Anyway. For the faults that I believe Martin Luther to have had, him translating the Bible into German was a good thing. And that led to other translations in other languages. And I don't know. It's fair to say that scripture may not look the way it does today had he not done that when he did. Uh, at the very least, it would have taken longer for it to get translated into those languages, to be sure. So... Good on Martin Luther. And then let's scooch up ahead here. This is pretty important. You're about to see why. The first complete English language version of the Bible dates from 1382 and was credited to John Wycliffe. You probably recognize that name. I, I would hope so, at least. And his followers. But... It was the work of the scholar William Tyndale, who from 1525 to 1535 translated the New Testament and a part of the Old Testament that became the model for a series of subsequent English translations. All previous English translations 
culminated in the King James Version in 1611, known in England as the Authorized Version, which was prepared by 54 scholars appointed by King James I, avoiding strict literalism literalism in favor of an extremist sorry, of an extensive use of synonym, it was a masterpiece of Jacobian English and the principal Bible used by English-speaking Protestants for over 227 years, 270 years, sorry. So, John Wycliffe translates the Bible into English, basically, thanks to William Tyndale. And then, after, like, 70-some years, all of the other English translations come together as... The, the King James Version. How do you feel about the King James Version, William? It's all right. It's all uh, right. Yeah, if you were living in Shakespearean England and, you know, went to Shakespeare's place for fun and you understood them perfectly because that style of English was not a problem for you, the King James Version would have been a great thing for you to read. However, most of us struggle a little bit with Shakespearean-style English, and therefore, it's not the uh, easiest thing for you to read. Well, how do you feel about King James-only churches or New King James Version-only churches? How, how do you feel about those groups who are, a lot of the times in my experience, very elitist about it? Like, if you don't read the KJV, you're not reading scripture? Well, I I say to them, I don't read the KJV. I read the Greek. So, mm. you know. Fair if, enough. If if you're like, if it ain't the KJV, it ain't the Bible. I'm like, well, if read the Greek and get on my level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I... <laughs> personally do not much care for the kjv or the nkjv i'm so let me put it this way i'm fine with both of them i'm not fine with how people treat them like they are the penultimate version of scripture yeah and that's that's the the problem that's the biggest issue i have with it really is the people who use it and the the way that they use it and the way they talk about it and gatekeep scripture almost really don't like that um i'm also just not the biggest fan of that translation Personally, I don't think it reads that well, but also I'm not an expert in Shakespearean English, so that adds up. But that's that's a rough history of how we went from Greek and Hebrew to Latin to German to English, roughly. That, that's how we got to English Bibles. Uh, you can also thank the Gutenberg Press for that. That was that was pretty cool. Thanks, Gutenberg. <clears throat> So, now we're in English, William, and all anyone reads is the KJV, because that's what the Bible is in English now. And then, I didn't bother looking into this too much, mostly to save us time. Somehow, that ends up changing, and we get a whole bunch of other translations. You uh, happen to have any insights on that in particular, or you just want to move past that and just accept that that's what happened? Yeah, so KJV is old-timey English. It's great if you speak old-timey English, but most of us don't because we're not old-timey people. There you go. So then we have uh, people who say, okay, well, we need a new translation that's not old-timey that people can access because the whole point of translating the Bible into English is to make it accessible to English speakers. And 
some translators want to keep what they translate as close to the original language as they possibly can. Yep. Right? So you have one school of thought in translation that wants it to be... Uh, word for word. Word for word, beat for beat, the same in English as it is in Greek, which we're going to do a little exercise here in a moment that shows that that, that doesn't always work that well. And then... And then there's... And so that beat for beat, word for word, real wooden style of translation... Uh, what's a good example of that? The ESV. ESV is pretty, pretty word for word, beat for beat. Yeah, Even if you've ever take... seen one of those little graphs that put Bibles, Bible translations on a scale and from left to right, it's like word for word, smack in the middle is phrase for phrase, and then all the way to the right is like uh, idea for idea. Right. Usually on those charts, you'll see people put the ESV all the way to the left at like word for word. And then you right. get like the NRSV, which you and I like, which is closer to the middle, phrase right. for phrase. And then over by like idea for idea, you get some of the worst translations, in my opinion. Yeah. So even for like the message, I don't think it's even fair to say that it's like idea for idea because the, like it, the when message. you take too much liberty. Yep. So you go word for word, or you can go like, uh, phrase for phrase i you can try and get the meaning of what it is and then say it in modern language but if you take too much liberty with that you end up saying something that's just different yeah um and the message does that a lot yeah, i don't the like mes- the message translation I don't at all I, I wouldn't read the message just because read the nrsv it's understandable it's pretty dang close to the greek it's close enough it, it's very close and it's very readable and it's just as readable as the message, but without compromising, having the potential compromise of meaning. Because in the message, you definitely get compromise yeah, and of meaning. It's close enough to the ESV without it being so word for word focused and being so literal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't end up with some of the issues that some people might have with the ESV and like translations like the NIV, stuff like that, where... In trying to get it word for word as closely as possible, you end up losing some of the meaning. Right. Um, I, I personally feel like the NRSV is a really good middle ground, uh, but that's just me. Um, if you use the NRS or the uh, the NIV or the CSV is okay. I don't mind the CSV or even the ESV, which it's not my favorite, but it's totally readable, right? Um, all that to say. Certainly, there are some translations better than other, I think. Uh, I don't like the message. I do not like the message translation. I think it's a bad translation. I think you would be better off reading the NRSV or the ESV or the CSV or something to that effect. One of the questions I want to pose, though, is, is any Bible better than no Bible at all? Mm. Which is a tough question. But, uh, you know, depends. if the only Bible I can possibly access is the message Bible, is that better than not having a Bible? So I want to be very careful Yes. with how I answer this because there are versions of the Bible that are translated in good faith. The message was translated in good faith by Mm. someone who wanted to communicate the truth of the gospel 
in the most accessible way possible, and they made some compromises to get there. And you have translations that I think are bad faith translations, Mm. like the ones put out by the Jehovah's Witness Church. Yeah. That they have a theological bone to pick that rubs against the grain of what the text says. And so they produce a version of the Bible that says something different than what it ought to say. So you might be better off not having a Bible than having a Bible translated by heretics. Mm. You might be better off without a canon than Marcion's canon. Marcion is the firstborn of Satan, right? That's Polycarp's name, first nickname for him. son of Satan. Yeah, that's Polycarp's yeah. nickname for him, not mine. Um, you might be better off without it than with it in that case. But if it's a translation that was produced in good faith, then that's fine. I, I, I don't have any problem with people reading the ESV or the message. They're not the best. I'm not going to read them myself because I don't want to, but it's fine if you can uh, follow what it says and it helps you draw closer to Christ and you understand uh, what it means. That's good. Uh, The message is a good place to start. It shouldn't be where you end up, I don't think. I think that mature Christians ought to try to move beyond that. Um, But yeah, message is fine i guess that's fair okay yeah it's a good place to start but don't stay with the message yeah so the message is cool other translations in good faith are cool doesn't matter that much but if your translation of the bible is translated by jehovah's witness or marcion or the mormons you'd probably be better off not reading it at all Uh, i think is the takeaway from that and I, I think I agree with that pretty pretty well. Been wanting to read the Mormon Bible just to, to see what's in there and really understand it better. But also part of me is like, don't do it. It's a waste of time. Yeah, I, I'm curious about the, the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Not just their translation of the Bible, but their yeah. uh, fan fiction addition to it. Yeah. Curious <laughs> That's to poke around with that. Maybe... Maybe someday, twenty uh, twenty seven. I'll probably be able to fit that into my yeah into my reading. <laughs> so, are are we ready for our Greek exercise? Uh, give me like f- three more minutes. Okay. Uh, can Can you say more about like translation theory or uh, why you like the NRSV in particular? And the- I sure can try. Yeah. Um, I like the NRSV particularly. More than the ESV, for for one very specific reason that probably only applies to me. <laughs> I don't know that this applies to too many other people. Um, I don't like the ESV that much. Not because it's a bad translation. It's a good translation and is one of the most accurately translated word-for-word Bibles we have. Word-for-word, it is almost uncontested for, for its accuracy in translation. And I respect that. Weirdly enough, because of that, I don't like the way it says certain things. The the NRSV? The ESV. Oh, the ESV. The ESV. Certain things in the ESV come across as... How do I put this? 
they don't come across as urgent or as 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 heavy as they should perhaps might be a way to put it um examples please off the top of my head i don't have anything i'd have to go through and pick those out um but you know i'll read the esv my church prefers the esv that's that's the translation they read uh you know that's what they put up on the screens and what they read from during sermons and that's fine um in particular actually one comes to mind where uh in james the esv it'll talk about how Oh, let me see if I can find it real quick, because this was one that actually pushed me to move away from the ESV. All right. I'm going to look that up real quick. Two hours later. All right. Well, I I unfortunately can't find it, so we're going to move past that. But basically, there there are certain phrases or words used in like the ESV or the NIV and similar translations that just don't really hit home for me. I feel like they kind of, they feel flat. Fair enough. Where I feel the NRSV, some of the language used in there, it, it feels more weighty and impactful. Uh, I think of... And I appreciate that. A fair term for the NRSV is dynamic. It is a very dynamic mm. translation, and it flows, and it has rhythm to it, and it uh, it reads like something that uh, has purpose. Whereas the ESV, because it's so wooden, it uh, sometimes just sounds like a list of words. Yeah. It, it doesn't even, it's hard to get the meaning. And part of that is because it's a very wooden translation of the Greek. So I wanted to do a little exercise here. Yeah. We're going to look at some Greek and then we're going to do a little translation exercise with the Greek. And then we're going to look at a couple translations and see how different translations might prioritize word for word, how they might do a little bit of a, like meaning for meaning. Yeah. And also why that's necessary. Because some people hear that translators of the Bible, they uh, change some stuff. And pe- people are like, I can't believe they're changing the Bible. How could you do that? Well, before you get upset about people, quote-unquote, changing the Bible, let's look at Greek real quick and see if we could translate it word for word and if that would even be intelligible to us. Yeah. So. All right. We're going to be doing 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to look at that in Greek real quick. Now, there's a lot of stuff in about grammar with Greek that will clear up some of the problems that we're going to run into in a minute here. Yeah. It's been a long time since I took a Greek class. Uh, my vocabulary <laughs> is still pretty good. My grammar is less good. So someone who is a scholar of Greek and knows the language better than I will be able to make a better translation of this than I can. Yeah. Yeah. But we're just kind of doing this to see how the language works. Yeah. So, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Tech, this is the Greek. Technia mu tufta grafo umin. Iname armatie te kayon 
Tis Amarate, Perkalaton, Echomel, Proston Patera, Eosion, Christon, Decaon. All right, so that's it in Greek. Which, if you don't understand Greek, meant nothing to you. Not a lick. That's fine. So we're going to go through this word by word and translate it one word at a time and see what we end up with. Okay. okay? So technia is Greek for children. Okay. Okay. It's plural. Yeah. Technia. Technia. Techno. Technom. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. It's Greek for children. Yes. Mu is my. So that first phrase, technia mu, is children my, if we translate it word for word. Yep. Okay? So then we have tovta grafo, this I write. Children my, this I write, umin, to you all, or you all. Yeah. Right? That's you plural. Children, my, this I write to you all. Uh, iname, so that's since not. Okay? That is an unintelligible word order in English. Since yeah. not, but that is what it says. Yeah. Okay? Or this not. Yeah. Aramete. You sin. And then we have kai ion tis, which is but if th- or but if who sins armaton perakalaton, so that's a uh, helper or advocate, ichoman, we have. Pros toward ton patera, the father, Iosion Christon diakion, Jesus Christ, righteous. So, word for word, yes. What we have is children, my this I write you so that no you sin, but if who to sin helper we have toward. The Father, Jesus Christ, righteous. Yes. Now, that's word salad. Yeah. Now, I have the ESV pulled up here. Okay. Which, as we discussed, is by many considered to be one of, if not the most word-for-word accurate translations. Right. And that reads like this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's not at all the same thing. Well, um it is, it, but it's not. It's exactly the same. And I'll I'll tell you why. So Greek words have these things called declensions. English words have declensions too. You never had to learn about declensions because you speak English. Okay. Except for our listener in Brazil. Hey, <laughs> what's we up? see you. I see you in the analytics, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening. Hola. Uh, <laughs> Gracias. Ryan, that's racist. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll be quiet. <laughs> anyway, I mean, our listener in Brazil might speak English. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, 
you don't think about the declensions in English. Yeah. Because they're natural to you. But in Greek, words have declensions, so they end different ways. If a word is singular, for example, the Greek word for word, logos, if it is singular and it is the subject of the sentence, it's logos. If it is plural and it is the subject of the sentence, it is logoi. Mm. If it is uh, used not as the subject of the sentence, but it's being used possessively. So the words thing, like the words bag or whatever, it would be logoi. So L-O-G-O-U, lagu. So depending on how a word is functioning in a sentence, they have a different declension, right? Yeah. So someone who understands Greek grammar well can look at this, and even though it's word salad and it's all out of order, yeah, they can look at the endings of it and say, okay, this one, even though it's way in the middle, is actually the subject of the sentence. Yeah. And this one is possessive, and this one is, and they're able to piece together the sentence back into English in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Based off the declensions. Okay. So while we translate it very woodenly, like we just did, and it comes out as like Yoda speak word salad. Yeah. It's if you read Greek and you read it well, you can look at the page with the Greek on it and you're not going to see it like that. Yeah. Right, because you're going to see the declensions and know how the sentence fits together. Yeah. Okay? So I'm going to read our word salad version again. This is pretty word for word. And I'm, I'm going to add some, yeah, a little bit of nuance, right? Because first we have to take it from Greek to English, and then we have to decide how closely we want it to be in the word order. Yeah. And then we have to make decisions about how we want to translate certain words. Okay? So we have okay. children, my, this I write to you. Now, the you in the Greek is plural you. Yes. So we wouldn't be out of place to say y'all. Mm. Just throwing that out there. You could okay. make that choice. Yeah. Right? And it would be accurate to say, children, my, this I write to y'all. We're not going to say that, but we could. So that no, you sin, but if who to sin, helper or advocate or um, defense, we could put something like that. We can go in <clears throat> and look at the Strong's Concordance and we can see where that word that we're translating as helper, where it's used in the entirety of the Bible. And we can see how it's translated in other places to give us an idea of what the best way to translate it might be. Yeah. Right? So we're going to say helper, just because I think that sounds nice. Yeah. We have, and then in the Greek, it's pros, patera. So pros is usually uh, to or toward. Mm-hmm. So we have an a helper, toward or to... The Father, Jesus Christ, righteous, or holy, or innocent. Yeah. We could translate that last word as righteous, holy, or innocent. Okay. Okay. So if we take this and we try to make it 
English sounding, we might end up with something like, my children, I write this to you not so that you sin, but that if you sin, you know, I added the word no, yes. we have a helper or an advocate to the Father or toward the Father or in front of the Father. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, or the Innocent One, or the Righteous One. I'm adding the words the and one. That's not too bad. But that's kind of what he's saying, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. He's saying, children, my this I write to you, so that no you sin, but if who to sin, helper we have toward the Father Jesus Christ, righteous. My children, I write this to you, not so that you sin, but that if you sin, you know we have an advocate toward the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy One. That's totally It's the legible. same thing, yeah. but I've made it... Readable. Readable, and I've done this in the English. <clears throat> yes. So now we can look at how other translations render this same verse. Yeah, so I have the NRSV up if we want to look at that one first. Yeah, let's start with the NRSV. Yeah, which is almost identical to the ESV. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty similar. So here's the King James. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So then we have the Amplified Version. My little children... I write you these things so that you may not violate God's law and sin. But if anyone should sin, we have an advocate, one who will intercede for us with the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright, just, who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose through thought and action, which is very different from what the yeah. Greek says. But that's kind of the amplified thing. It, it, it amplifies. Puts, yeah, it amplifies. It, those extra things that I drew attention to that it could yeah. be holy or righteous or innocent. Yeah. The Amplified just puts those. They put them the all thing. in. They put them all in. So that way, if there's any ambiguity, you can yeah. have it right there. So then we have the Living New Testament. My little children, I'm telling you this so that you may stay away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. The one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely, which is also quite different yeah. from the Greek. They add some stuff there. Uh, his name is Jesus Christ. That's not, it doesn't say his name is Jesus Christ. It just says Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So is it a big deal that they add his name is? Is that changing the meaning of the text? Is that a problem for us theologically? Is that a problem for Holy Scripture that they're making it different like that? I don't know. Mm. So then we've got the uh, Revised Standard Version, not the New Revised Standard Version. The revised, the revised Standard Version. My little children, I am writing this to you so that we may not, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's almost identical to the NRSV. Yeah. I think it might be. It probably is. Um, but there we can see how these things are translated a little differently. I'm not sure why all of them say little children. Yeah. 
when the word here in the Greek is technia, which is just child. child yeah. Or children. Uh, children. Real quick, I am using the Nestle Aland Greek New Testament. This is the 27th edition. This is the scholarly edition of the, of the New Testament that uh, biblical scholars use when they are doing biblical studies in the Greek. It might be the 28th or 29th edition out now. Yeah. Um, but they take all of the manuscripts that we have and they do comparative lookings at all of the Greek that's available and make decisions on what the most likely way that it would have looked in the original is. Yeah. And then they put it out in yeah. the Nestle alone okay. version. So that's where I'm getting my Greek version yeah. of this from. So I think the takeaway there, and I think you'll probably agree with this, is if you have a preferred translation and it was written in good faith, that is okay. It doesn't really matter that much unless it was written by heretics, in yeah. which case you'd be better off not reading it at all. If it's translated by heretics, eh. Well. Eh. And then there are even those that are trans that are good faith, but I'm like, Eh, well, like, you ever seen the comic book Bible? I have. I've also or, seen the manga Bible, yeah, the, the manga Bible. And it's like, eh. well, allow me mm. to draw your attention to a very specific translation, William. And I'd love to hear what you think about this. All right. Have you ever heard of the HPB Bible? No. What's it stand HPB for? stands for Hawaiian Pigeon Bible. Oh, sweet. Are you familiar with I, this? Well, I'm familiar with Hawaiian Pigeon. So allow me to read you just John 2, verse 1, what we were just reading. First John. First John, yeah, chapter, first John chapter, two, chapter 2, verse 1. Verse one. Let me just read that, which is what we just read. Hey, my good friends, with a Z, I stay right dis stuff to you guys, so you do no bad knife stuff. <laughs> but when get somebody dat do bad knife stuff... <laughs> Us get one guy that stay talk to the father for us guys. Das Jesus Christ. The Seth show guy. God Winsen. He every time stay do the right thing. Amen. Amen. I, I want to read a little more out of this because oh, I think do. this is hilarious. It's gorgeous. Before that, I want to read you the name of every book of the Bible in this translation. Oh, yes. Well, maybe not every in, book, but no. some of them. I'm going to read you all of them in 66. order. 66. You ready for this? Jeez, we're going to be here a minute. You ready? How are we on time? We're fine. We had that part we had to cut out. Okay. We're good. You ready for this? Start. Out of Egypt. Prices. Census. Rules second time. <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> local leaders. Ruth. First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Records, Second Records, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Songs, Smart Guys, <laughs> Teacher, Love Song, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Sad Song, <laughs> Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naum. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus guy, 
Yes. Rome. My favorite. First Corinth, second Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, but spelled incorrectly. Spelled differently, Ryan. Philippi, Coloss, first Thessalonica, second Thessalonica, first Timothy, second Timothy, Titus, Philemon with a with an F, hmm. Hebrews, James, first Peter, second Peter, first John, second John, third John, Jude, Jesus show. The Jesus show and Jesus guy are my two favorites. Um, <laughs> but so, al- allow me to read you just the opening of Genesis, a.k.a. start. Okay. I think you'll get a kick out of this. The time when every ting when start, God make the sky and the world. The world comes so no mo nutting inside, no mo shape nutting, on top the wild ocean that covered everything, never had light nutting, only had God's spirit day moving around over the water, day number one. Amen, amen. <laughs> um, so for those who do not know, pigeon <laughs> is a term that describes uh, a language that's... Um, kind of a an amalgamation of different things. So you have like Creole in New Orleans and that's a pidgin language because it's a they're not like traditional languages. They they kind of come out of necessity because you have people who speak something, speak people who speak something else, and then people who speak a third thing and they've got to communicate with each other to go to work. Yeah. Uh, and you end up with something kind of like that. So the Hawaiian pidgin is a mix between English, a mix between native Hawaiian languages, and a mix between, like, some uh, Southeast Asian languages. Yeah, like so Philipp- that's that's the Hawaiian yeah. Pigeon Bible. I am particularly and fond of Rules Second Time and Smart Guys. And, and that was probably <laughs> translated in good faith, and I think that you I, would be better suited <laughs> reading that than the manga Bible. So. Yeah, I just really wanted to read some stuff out of that because we were talking about translations, and that is one of my favorite all-time translations. That's it's hilarious. Gorgeous. I, right. I highly suggest, if you want a good kick, just read the HPV Bible. It's so funny. Uh, so I, I'm glad I got to share that with you. Anything else you want to say about uh, translation, translation theories, which translations people ought to use, which translations they ought not to use, anything like that? If... You have the capacity to learn Greek. Good luck. Go it's hard. <laughs> go learn Greek. That that is my suggestion. Go learn it. It will be good. It will be good for you. It will be profitable. Go learn Greek. If you do not have the capacity to learn Greek and or ancient Hebrew, um pick a translation that you like. As long as it was written in good faith, it's fine. Fun fact. So the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, yes. right? Around the year when, like seventy BC, I want to say. Yeah. The some dude, some king guy, wants a translation of the Hebrew Bible in Greek. Yeah. So he gets a translation made in of the Hebrew into the Greek, and that version is called the Septuagint. Yes. And the Septuagint. The ancient Greek version of the Old Testament is what Paul 
and others were likely reading, right? Yeah. Fast forward to modern times, and our oldest versions of the Old Testament are actually the Greek versions because of the Septuagint by a couple hundred years compared to our Hebrew yeah. texts. Our Hebrew texts, which are called the Masoretic texts, on the the oldest pieces of the Masoretic texts are about 500 years younger than our oldest Septuagints. And our youngest Masoretic texts are about 1,500 years younger yeah. than our Septuagintal texts. So our Septuagintal texts are far, far older than our Hebrew texts, which is why I elected to learn Greek and uh, really dig into that, because even when dealing with Old Testament stuff, you're getting an older version of it, albeit a translated version, when you're reading Old Testament stuff in Greek versus Hebrew. If you're interested in learning Greek, you can check out an app called uh, Gnosis, it's G-I-N-O-S-K-O-S. That has been very helpful for me. Um, and it can help you learn Hebrew, Latin, Greek, and something else, too. Um, and you can just get, like, flashcards and stuff through there. Anyway. Yeah, uh, so if you have the stomach to learn Greek, I go do it. It's hard, but... It'll be good for you. It's rewarding. Otherwise, um, pick a translation. When, when we were doing that little... Exercise, yeah. I only had to look up like two of those words in yeah. my, my lexicon because I had the vocabulary to just look at the Greek and be like, yep, I know what this yeah. is. And that's cool. That's a cool thing to be able to do. That is. Um, and but if you can, try to do that too. Otherwise, yeah. pick a translation. If you like it, that's fine. If you like the ESV and your friends make fun of you for that, tell them they're silly because they are. I don't it know. doesn't matter that it, much. But ESV, you know the ESV. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. Um, if you're looking for a particular translation recommendation, I highly suggest the NRSV. Big fan. Yep. I like it. Uh, um, the most recent version of the CSV is also really good. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind the CSV. The CSV is good. Um, I will say the HPB that I read there, that is available for free on the YouVersion Bible app. So anyone who's ever used that app, you could just download that as one of your translations. If you want a good kick, read it. It's funny. Well, that's enough. Uh, I reckon that's enough smart guy time for us. Yeah, no uh, more Jesus guy for us. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for us, please email us at theologyish at gmail.com. If you have uh, stuff you don't want to email to us, you can leave it in a comment on YouTube. Yeah, and leave us a like. Make sure like, you subscribe. Comment, subscribe. Um, that stuff really helps us out. It'll push us up in the algorithms, help us get to more people. Maybe more people listen to it and like it. Share. Th so your cousin who's really into the KJV, share this with them and tell them that they're dumb. <laughs> and it'll be great. If you go to a KJV church. Don't. Don't. <laughs> <Go somewhere else>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Do they use the KJV? Or do they idolatrize the KJV? All right? That is a big distinction. Because if they use it, it's fine. If they idolatrize it... Leave. Then you can find somewhere that isn't silly. Yeah. 
Otherwise, leave us a five-star review on Spotify, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, Amazon Podcast, all your other podcasting Me places. And the boys hanging out on Samsung Podcasts. Naturally. It's like the Naturally. best place to be. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. All right. Do we get any views from them? I have no clue. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Well, uh, we will be seeing you guys next time. Thanks for tuning See in. See you later, gamers.